The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good morning, one. Good morning, all. It's Tuesday on Fantasy NBA Today, February the 2nd. Punxsutawney Phil saw his shadow, I think, right? Something like that. My grandmother turned 99 yesterday. I only have one grandparent left. Not a spring chicken myself, so my grandparents, those one, the one that remains. So happy birthday to my baba. That's pretty wild. 99 is crazy. Um, And we rumble along, everybody. Good day to you. If this is Fantasy NBA Today, you know that already. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. You can follow me on social media. You know the drill. It's at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Or just Google search Dan from HoopBall. A couple of you actually came to me and said, thank you for pushing me to sign up for Twitter. Happy to, guys, by the way. That's a win-win. Number one, uh, you guys are able to stay in touch with me during off-air situations. It can boost my ego as my if you know a follower count c- clicks up by one or two. But also, you guys do win in that regard. You get quicker access to information. So again, I tell you all, if you are listening to this podcast and you're not using Twitter to get your NBA news faster than the people in your league, you're leaving something on the table. So sign up now. I don't care if you do a profile picture or anything. Follow me. Follow some key guys. Follow Woj. Follow Hoopball Fantasy. This podcast is a Hoopball show. And get your news faster. Don't worry about just a 45, 50-minute pod first thing in the morning or the middle of your day, depending on where you live. Do more. Excel in other ways. Fast news is certainly one way to do it in NBA circles. You just never know. Like, injury news breaks. You got to be the first one to the wire. Let's just dive on into some stuff. Uh, No promo here at the outset. None. How about that? Good day for you all, right? Charlotte beat Miami in overtime. LaMelo Ball got the start with no Terry Rozier. P.J. Washington sprained his foot. And as we saw from C.J. McCollum, if they end up finding anything additional, that goes from a one- to two-week thing to potentially longer. So let's hope it's not long for P.J. However, in the short term, and I don't think Rozier is going to be out all that long, but in the short term... P.J. Washington being out is another boost for Cody Zeller, who's just bet his, his path cleared out here. The futility of Bismack Biombo and now the absence of their small ball center means that Zeller's going to get all he can handle. And so I feel a little bit guilty because I was like, look, Cody Zeller, we know how this, this script plays itself out. He goes big minutes for a couple of ball games. He ends up fading over time. They're going to need to use him here. Quite a bit, at least in the short term. So he's become a very strong streaming option who will likely settle back into that top 120 slot that he always does every year. But again, in the shorter term, he'll go higher than that. You know, he'll have a run here of four, five, six, probably more ball games. I should say four or five additional ball games over the three or four he's already had where he'll be inside the top 100. Stream away, ladies and germs. Cody Zeller has a little bit of a shelf life. Malik Monk exploded for 36 points, five boards, two assists, nine three-pointers. Also made all five of his free throws in this game. And with one performance, has thrust himself into the discussion for whether or not he's useful in any way in fantasy. He got picked up pretty much everywhere after yesterday's ball game. but let's do a little bit more of a deep dive on how we got to this point. For one, he's always been a little bit of a flamethrower of a score type. And this was only his eighth ball game this year. Came back uh, for nine minutes on January 4th and then really kind of got into the rotation like a week ago played 23 minutes in a game in Toronto uh in the beginning or in the middle of January and it sort of wasn't wasn't really anything uh but over the last four ball games he played in all of them 14 14 23 and then 40 minutes yesterday and what I'd say is that looking at these numbers he is sort of the Terry Rozier backup so if Rozier misses additional time you're going to get 
a flamethrower game out of Malik Monk. What I'll also note is that there is a universe where he plays himself into more basketball. Meaning, whether or not Rozier is on the floor, there is an outside path for Malik Monk to actually see the floor. And it was actually, it was happening last year prior to his drug of abuse indefinite suspension. As you may recall, or may not, in the middle of January last year, suddenly they were just like, you know, we're going to play a whole crap ton of Malik Monk. And he went kind of bonkers. Again, this is really much more of a points league discussion. If you're in category format, I don't think you even give him the time of day. But in points league situations... He went on a run where he scored 19, 19, 17, 25, 25, and 15 points. Then he had eight points, and uh, then he was suspended. And he didn't play again after uh, February the 25th. The season ended... uh, Sorry, that was... uh, Yeah, season ended about three weeks later. And, uh, you know, we didn't really hear much about Monk. It's good to see him back with the team playing relatively well here. He can score quickly and is a very good streamer when Rozier is out. Don't be surprised, however, if he ends up back on every single waiver wire as soon as Rozier is back in the mix. You're not going to see anybody dropped faster. Gordon Hayward, Devontae Graham, they'll do extra. Miles Bridges will actually do a little extra with PJ and Rozier out. And uh, LaMelo Ball got a start in this ballgame, didn't shoot the ball well, didn't get any offensive stats, but it's not really going to matter because he had that Mondo game over the weekend that kind of woke everybody back up to how good he is going to be, and you're no longer going to be able to buy low on LaMelo Ball. So that that ship has sailed. On the Miami side, Kelly Olynyk was back in the starting lineup. He played 22 very good minutes, but did not see the floor late or in overtime. Eric Spolstra, I wonder sometimes, Spo is a is a terrific head coach. I know Miami's got the whole culture thing going on. But sometimes he overcoaches just a little bit. And he kind of went to this goofball lineup that was slowly giving a lead away. And then you, sometimes as a coach, you just have to be willing to, to tweak things up a little bit. Adebayo fouled out, but he did play 39 minutes first. Butler, of course, those guys are good. I still like Kelly Olynyk as kind of a top 100-110 type if he can grab some of those fourth quarter minutes, he could push himself back inside the top 100 again. So he's very much on the radar. This game doesn't change that for me. But, you know, it's a not-so-subtle reminder that you can't really trust the Heat on a night-to-night basis to play the fantasy guy you want them to. Lakers beat Atlanta 107-99. Uh, line was pretty tight on this one. I think it was like Lakers by 7. They won by 8. That, by the way, is what you call a coin flip. If you won it, congrats. Came up heads. If you lost it, came up tails. You didn't do anything wrong. Line was right. LeBron, ageless LeBron, had a good ball game. Montrez Harrell actually played relatively well in this one, offensively at least. Anthony Davis is uh, saving his body, and maybe we should have read more into that. Although, he's, I mean, he still had a pretty good game. AD is number 16 in nine category leagues right now, largely because he hasn't shot the free throw. He's at 71% foul shooting on the year. He is at nine rebounds, which again, I mean, we're, we're not really anywhere near what he was doing last year, which was 26 points, nine and a half rebounds, 3.8 combined defensive stats, 85% at the free throw line. And this year rebounding is down by about a half a board per ball game. Uh, and seemingly trending the wrong way. Scoring is down by four, Defensive stats are down by about a half, although we've seen those have been sort of on the rise. And then again, it's the free throw shooting. He's a high-volume free throw shooter, and it's down 15%. So I do think that comes around. That'll push AD back into the middle of the first round. And uh, with it, probably some scoring as well. But, you know, they're they're going easy right now. He's been a little bit of a disappointment. I don't, I mean, could you really buy low on AD? Probably not. He's Anthony Davis. What the hell are you going to do? Give up a second rounder. You got any ultra hot guys you drafted in the second round? Would you give up Kevin Durant for him? I probably would, but it's close. Embiid? Yeah, I'd give up Embiid for AD. Joel's he's gonna fall apart at some point. There's gonna be a few weeks missed in here. Dame, I'd probably give up Dame for AD. There's a lot of these guys that are ahead of him right now that I, I think I would 
happily. He's right neck and neck with Paul George. I doubt you could get him for PG because, you know, George, he might go another four or five slots higher. AD, we know the ceiling is much higher than that. But explore it. See if you can get your hands on Anthony Davis. On the Atlanta side, Clint Capella just keeps rolling 16 and 13, a steal, three blocks on eight out of 11 shooting. And he's now number 30 on the season. Just straight dominating. Just straight dominating. Turning out to be one of the best draft day grabs. Not the best, but one of. Trey Young, he's still playing well. Had seven turnovers here, but had 16 assists. John Collins had a nice, efficient ball game, but no defensive stats. Gallo played 19 minutes. I was hoping he would hit 20 in this game, but he just he still doesn't really have his lift. Just two for 10 shooting. Or, I mean, this could have actually been an okay ball game in 19 minutes. Cam Reddish not doing much with his minutes out there. And we don't, we don't have a specific timetable on DeAndre Hunter yet. Hopefully we will soon. And uh, Kevin Herter had a slow ball game as well. The Lakers, you know, defensively, they can take some guys out of games. Sacramento beat New Orleans in a nice little comeback. Marvin Bagley was ejected after 22 minutes, and I am right back where I was before, which is he's a drop. I said it two games back, and then he had a big ball game, and I thought, well, that's going to make people think I'm an idiot. Uh, but I don't care. I stick to what I've got, and Marvin Bagley is not worth rostering. His free throw shooting and field goal percent both are so bad He's not doing anything to cover up for those. The only way you could possibly put Bagley on your team is a points league, where percentages don't matter at all. You can just throw those both out the window. Otherwise, uh, the Sacramento team is relatively consistent on a night-to-night basis. De'Aaron Fox starting to work his way up the board. He's now at 106. You figured that was just a matter of time before that came around. Buddy Heald is now at 73. Remember, he was at like 130, and we said, go buy low. Well, here we go. He's still only at 39% shooting on the year, so... Still trending in the right direction. Rashawn Holmes is 31. And the big surprise is Harrison Barnes is inside the top 50 on 50% from the field, 86 at the foul line, and uh, not showing a ton of signs of slowing down yet. They're going very heavy on Harrison. And this may be the year he stays inside the top 100, even though I maintain he's going to cool off a little bit. And one thing to note from this ballgame, just a, a little footnote on how much the Kings wanted this game. Look at the minute totals on both teams, honestly. Uh, Highest minute total on the Pelicans was Eric Bledsoe at 36 minutes, 17 seconds. Brandon Ingram was at 35 minutes, 36 seconds. And yeah, their their key guys were over 30. Look at the Kings side. Barnes, 40. Heald and Fox, 39 and 39 and change, respectively. They basically went 40 minutes with their three most important guys in that game. And Rashawn Holmes, 33 minutes. Frankly, it would have been more if, you know, as a big man, you had the energy to do more. He had six blocks. They wanted the game. Kings are playing to win right now, and they're going to run out of gas doing it, which is partially why you get these this streakiness. On the New Orleans side, Josh Hart was the guy who stepped up with no Steven Adams. They went small, and it was always kind of this... You know, who's going to be the guy that slots in? Is it going to be Nikhil Alexander-Walker? Is it going to be Jackson Hayes? Is it going to be Josh Hart? Well, it was Josh Hart and Willie Hernan Gomez, who played 28 minutes off the bench, doesn't defend anything, but gets double-doubles like they're going out of style. He is a very deep league option, and no, I don't trust him as far as I can throw him. Josh Hart would be a guy I might consider trusting. He's been a little bit better lately, to Hart's credit. He's now at 136th in 9-cat on the year. Still not particularly heavily rostered. Over the last couple of weeks, I think he's inside the top 90, which is something. Field goal percent has been a little higher. I mean, he goes as his as his shot goes. He's always going to get a bunch of rebounds as a shooting guard who rebounds. And that's cool and all, but he needs to have some usage. Kings are a good team to kind of get fat against. Even Zion had defensive stats in this ballgame. Lonzo Ball's been, been quietly playing a little bit better. I know his field goal percent wasn't good here, but two threes, three steals, five assists. Bander Ingham has been uh, actually not that good lately. That's one of those ones where I think it's, it's going to surprise some people. Ingram has dropped to number 40, which overall is obviously fine. He was drafted in the usually the mid-30s, so he's pretty close to where he was where he was grabbed. But uh, his field goal percent has been dropping, and I don't know that he's going to keep that block number at one per game. That may come down a little bit as well. 
Overall, he's been fine, fantasy-wise. From a reality standpoint, it seems like they're asking him to bite off a little more than he can chew. And so the Pels just keep running into issues that sounds like they're a, a seller at the deadline. Interested parties in Lonzo? I mean, anybody who trades for him is, is probably going to have a decent spot to use him, so that could be a good thing. And if he gets out of the way, then you do have to look at a Josh Hart and a Nikhil Alexander-Walker. They'll, they'll want somebody to slot in there. Walker is the obvious choice between the two, but he's very much a luxury stash right now. I know he had that good ball game in the previous one, but came out here with 18 minutes and really didn't do much at all. Houston, oh, they're loving life right now. They they blew out the Thunder, 136-106. The box score was all over the map because the reserves got to play the whole fourth quarter, so Boogie had a huge game because he got to play most of the second half. They didn't need their starters. Unfortunately, he and Christian Wood still have not shared the floor, but for what, two or three minutes, I think the entire year, which makes Boogie a drop, unfortunately. Wall, Wood, Gordon, Depot, these guys are the obvious ones. I'm hoping that someone on the wing emerges. Right now, Jay Sean Tate is the starting small forward on this Rockets team, and he's sort of playing over his head efficiency-wise. Daniel House is the guy I'm keeping one eye on. He had four three-pointers. When he's trucking and they're running, he can be pretty good, and I'd love to know how many minutes he would have seen in this game if it wasn't a blowout, which we may find out tomorrow when these two teams play again. You can throw out the Thunder side. I think they need George Hill back, stabilizing force. Uh, Darius Baisley, still defecating all over your percentages. He's a drop. Lou Dort's a drop. Horford, Shea, those are the guys you're holding on to right now. And it, the question really for this team is, at what point do they pivot hard into the youth? Because they've been fighting. Generally, they've been a pretty good fighting team on a night-to-night base. Not so much in this one. Or their previous one. But at some point, the, the, they're going to run out of gas. The wheels are going to come off with a team this young. And you kind of got to be ready to catch it. Knicks lost in Chicago. The Thad Young experience has been something else lately. And I have a few thoughts on the Bulls side. Let's start with Thad, who played 31 minutes and nearly triple-doubled again. He had five fouls. But who cares? For many years, he's, he led the NBA in deflections, so he's always going to get you some steals. The rebounds and assists are just, they're magical. I don't know what the hell's going on right now. They're running things through Thad Young, and so we might as well do the same. He had, he's had 9, 11, and 8 assists in his last three ballgames. This is nuts. This is completely and positively crazy. I actually picked him up in like three or four places early last week, and then I dumped him uh, because I didn't think it was going to last, and I still have him in, in one or two spots, I think. Uh, but he's been incredible, and it seems like he's going to have a sizable role at least until Wendell Carter Jr. comes back. And even after that, they'll probably ask him to do some stuff. So absolutely, roll him out there. I, the, the darndest thing. I also have thoughts on Otto Porter, who the Bulls are very clearly kid-gloving because of his aching back and hip and all the other things that have kind of broken on Otto over the years. There's a couple things you could do with Porter. Number one, if you think there's a point at which they're just like, all right, we got we to gotta play this guy and see what happens, then you could hang on. I'm inclined to say you can probably drop him. Yeah, he'll have his 23, 24-minute games most of the time, and he can put up close to fantasy value in that amount of time on the floor. He's just not healthy. His body has has given way. We drafted him relatively late in the hope that maybe he could play himself into shape, but I, I don't think his body can handle it anymore. So the best advice on Otto Porter is probably give him another week if you can, if you can stick with it, and if his minutes never get above 23, you probably just punt at that point especially with as well as Thad's playing they haven't needed Otto as the veteran presence there because Thad Young's doing it Laurie Markkinen's having a great year this was the hope I was a little bit worried going into draft day that you know did Jim Boylan permanently break Markkinen and the answer is a hard no he's been uh, terrific his field goal percent will drop from where it's at right now he's at 52 percent and taking a lot of three-pointers that's going to come off a little uh, but overall he's just been really good so that one seems like it'll be at least a, a you know partial win at the very least once he kind of settles back in. On the New York side, 
couple of things jumped out. Number one, Emmanuel quickly cleared the 30-minute mark in this game. Alfred Payton only got 18, and you just have to wonder, is this change coming imminently? You know Tibbs, he's he's going to hold it, hold and hold and hold the line, and certainly for quickly, he actually fits better with the second unit because he can get out there and he can take some shots where you know, he doesn't have to defer to Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett in the first group. But he's just more fun. Offensively, he gives them weapons that Peyton doesn't have anything close to. And, you know, as we said last week, he's a guy you sort of pick up and you hope that the change comes sooner than later. He's doing enough right now off the bench where you can probably throw him in there anyway. I'm a little worried. I am, I admit. You know, they have another game with the Bulls tomorrow. You know, what if Peyton just plays better in that one? I don't like these timeshares where even though one guy seems to be winning it most nights... That's the guy coming off the bench, which means he just has the second crack at minutes. That scares me every time. I just I want to see them pull the trigger on the switch, and then I feel confident saying he's a must-start guy every single night. But he is a must-roster guy right now, no question. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Alec Burks, 29 minutes. He had 18 points, so hopefully that's the start of something. The uh, the New York bench got a, a, a few extra minutes in this game trying to fight their way back into it, so that probably did play a role. Still, I like Burks more than Reggie Bullock. I like him way more than Austin Rivers, and I've got to think that he eventually he sort of plays his way back into that bigger role. And then the center position, Mitchell Robinson got into foul trouble in the first half and logged, I think, only 11 minutes in the first half. Then he played the first nine of the second half, and New York just ran with the bench guys. And Nerlens Noel played, I think, the last 15 minutes of this ball game, 14 or 15 minutes straight. He had 8.7 boards, 5 blocks. And look, Nerlens is not going to play 28 minutes every night. Most of the time, the Knicks are going to go back to their main guys, whether that includes Quickly or Peyton, we're still sort of to be determined. It's been quickly more often lately, but it's also been Mitchell Robinson more often lately. He's generally gotten back in there in the fourth quarter. Starters were just not high on the list for Tibbs to get back into the ballgame here, other than Randall and sort of R.J. Barrett. So Robinson got benched late. He ended with nine points, eight boards, and a block. And he right now, by the way, is a little bit of a buy low, but that's a different discussion altogether. Nerlens Noel is an ad, not because you think he's going to play 28 minutes a night, and not even because you think he's going to split the minutes down the middle, but because lately, Nerlens has played more than enough minutes to get fantasy value. Earlier this year, he was stuck in the 13, 14, 15 minute range, and frankly, that wasn't enough. Last two weeks, and obviously this one big game is is yanking the average up a minute or two. But last two weeks, he's averaging 22 minutes per game. Four boards, eight rebounds, a steal, and two blocks. And you're like, Dan, is anything there unsustainable? And the answer is no. No. Look at what he did last year in 61 regular season games with Oklahoma City. 18 and a half minutes. He averaged seven and a half points, five rebounds, a steal, and one and a half blocks. He can get to 18 and a half minutes. I mean, I thought he was going to play 20 minutes this year. I thought he'd get to about 22 behind Robinson. So there is nothing but upside with Nerlens Noel now that he's actually playing kind of a minimum of 17 minutes a ball game. It seems like he's begun to figure out the way the Knicks want to run things. And so you're looking at 18-ish, 19-ish minutes per game, which is more than enough. The one thing I would like to see, and maybe these last couple of games are waking him up to it, is, you know, take a shot every once in a while. It doesn't all have to be rebound and putback stuff. I mean, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. He was taking four and a half shots with Oklahoma City last year. That's not exactly asking a lot of a dude, but he's at only 2.7 so far this year. So let's get the points up a little bit and get the rebounds up a little bit because he's on a team that actually kind of needs rebounding when he's on the floor. He's not out there with Randall. He's he's got to go get him in that second unit. Who the hell is the power forward in the second unit with this team? Obi Toppin? It's unclear. So add. He's maybe my priority add of the Monday night. Or Nerlens Noel. And you guys are gonna kill me for this because he's not even the littlest bit exciting as a fantasy basketball player, because his value is tied heavily to low turnovers and crazy high defensive stats. But 
guess what? You get a guy like that in a four-game week, he could get you eight steals and eight blocks in a four-game week, and it wouldn't be that crazy. Head-to-head, he might win you two categories in a week. Roto, they'll just pile them up all across the season while not hurting you. Well, not hurting you in anything besides points. Portland got blown out in Milwaukee. Blazers, I mean, what you know, they just they got nothing, man. They got nothing left in the tank, and uh, they need bodies back. They need CJ back. They need Nurk back, but neither one is going to be for a little bit yet, so they got to try to find a way to keep their head above water. Gary Trent cooled off. He'll probably have a better ball game here against Washington tonight. Rob Covington is uh, has never not cooled off this year, but I did like the fact that he took nine shots. Two steals. The blocks are down for Rocco right now, but eight rebounds. There's a lot to like about what he's likely about to do. Problem, of course, is that the team is just getting smoked, so I don't know what that's going to do to things. Nas Little, yeah, I mean, if you're buying into a 30-point game here, I got a bridge to sell you. Milwaukee, they got Bobby Portis, who's the greatest blowout artist in the history of the NBA. He had 21-8 and and uh, floated his value for another week with another blowout, but otherwise nothing really to go off of in this ballgame. Minnesota, they're playing better these days. They lost this one, 198, which is kind of amazing because overall they really, like, offensively they were pretty ugly in this ballgame. And the main guys that they were counting on, Edwards, D'Lo, and Beasley, Not, I mean, Anthony Edwards shot 41.5%, and that was the best of the bunch. The whole team shot 39% for the ballgame, only took 11 free throws and almost won. They had no business almost winning this ball game. Yeah, they forced a few extra turnovers, but yeesh. I'm a little worried about Jared Vanderbilt. He only got 19 minutes of this game. I thought he'd be a much safer stream with Cat out, but it seems like they just want to let Anthony Edwards run loose, and that's fine because we made him one of our priority ads over the, the weekend. Uh, I'm okay with moving on from Vanderbilt. If he's not going to be able to carve out a significant role without Cat, he's definitely not going to be able to carve one out with him. Uh, someone, I think someone on Twitter was like, did Anthony Edwards see giant minutes because Nas Reed missed a couple of ball games? And the answer appears to be no, because Nas was back for this one. Picked up 5,013 minutes, and Edwards still played 31 minutes, which is the second highest on the team behind only Malik Beasley. I know Reed was in foul trouble, so I guess that could be something. Uh, Anthony Edwards is getting pretty close to a guy you can start in fantasy. I know his numbers were not great in this ball game, but if he's really going to log 31 minutes and he's really going to get a dozen or more shots up every ball game, then he's pushing himself towards the start discussion. This was a bad one. I mean, they ran into a Cavs defense that's actually pretty good, and, you know, nobody's shots were dropping, and so on and so forth. But, yeah, I mean, he absolutely belongs in a fantasy roster. Someone called me out about calling Ricky Rubio a drop a month ago, and they've been remarkably quiet over the last four weeks, because Ricky Rubio is not inside the top 215, so get off my back. He's a drop, guys. He's not good this year. If he gets a turn around, you can pick him back up, because ain't nobody hanging on for this ride. Cleveland was without Andre Drummond and without Larry Nance Jr., and so Jared Allen got to go crazy. 23 and 18 with five blocks, missed a bunch of free throws, but honestly, who cares in this ballgame? Colin Sexton started to get it pointed back in the right direction. Not a brilliant game by any stretch, but fine. Darius Garland double doubled. That's nice. Torian Prince got a start. Eight, nine, and four with steal two blocks and a three pointer. I mean, we've always liked his fantasy stat set, but uh, percentages have hurt him, and opportunity is going to hurt him on this team because Nance, Drummond, and then eventually Kevin Love, and he's going to get pushed out to the periphery. Two more games to cover on that Monday night. It's a it's a pretty goodly recap here. Phoenix got a Devin Booker game winner with one and a half seconds left to beat Dallas 109-108. Mavs have lost their seventh in a row. Vintage Chris Paul, 34-9-9. Two steals, four three-pointers, 14 out of 20 from the field, and two for two at the free throw line. Chris Paul, ladies and gentlemen, after hovering in the 60s, for the first three weeks of the season, now has rocket-boosted himself up to number 34 in 9-cat and uh, and continuing upward. Honestly, he could just keep doing what he's doing right now, and he would probably move up because guys are most likely going to fall behind him that are in front. Now, that's not going to move him all that much. Four or five slots, maybe, something of that nature. Tobias Harris will fall behind him. Ananobi will probably fall behind him. I would venture to guess Jeremy Grant ultimately falls behind him. 
Maybe Michael Porter Jr. Tough to say on that front. Maybe Malcolm Brogdon. So whatever. I mean, we're getting deep into the weeds on this one. Point is, Chris Paul, back to being a third rounder. Didn't take that long. Enjoy the ride. He's having fun. The guy who's not having fun right now, although, you know, a win's a win's a win, I guess, is Devin Booker, who really did nothing besides score in yesterday's game, and he's outside the top 100 right now. I'll tell you, you could buy low on Booker, but it ain't going to be low enough. I don't think that he's... I don't think Devin Booker gets inside the top 40 on a per-game basis this season. I think he probably finishes in between 40 and 60 per game. Missed a week there with a hamstring thing, but I guess if he plays the rest of the games this year, he could maybe be a third-rounder by totals. So you're probably not going to be able to get him for less than that. Throw out there, you know, throw out like a top 60 kind of guy. It's probably not going to get the job done. Like a Victor Oladipo, maybe? Demonis Sabonis, maybe? By the way, Sabonis at 57. Just, I don't know. Not like, it's nothing nothing important there. It's just that there's that's one of those guys where there's a massive disconnect between reality and and uh, and fantasy. Because his fantasy numbers just, they don't reflect all the things he does. Because he doesn't get defensive stats, he doesn't hit threes, and he's terrible, terrible at the free throw line. He turns it over a bunch. But you could try flipping. I mean, see if uh, see if you can get Booker for, like, uh, you're not going to get him for Harrison Barnes or Jared Allen or someone like that. Maybe you could package a couple of those guys, like Jared Allen and Tyrese Halliburton or something. There are a couple of top 50, 60 dudes playing right now together. See if it works. But I wouldn't go much higher than that. I don't think Booker's going to have that great of a year. I think this is sort of the new world. It's Chris Paul's team right now. He'll find a way to share it because, you know, Paul knows from experience you can't you can't just take over a team like that. You have to instruct, and he'll bring guys along. DeAndre Ayton had 10 and 17. I would love to see him score a little bit more, but, you know, he's slowly working his way up the board. Ayton now is, where the hell is he at, 68? He's not going to be a second rounder this year, but I think he'll get inside the top. 40? He can work his way higher. If the free throw percent comes back up near 80, and the shots keep trending up towards 12 or 13, because the rebounds are solid, field goal percent is solid, those things are where you'd want him to be. Dallas side, Josh Richardson finally, finally had a good ball game. I called him a drop a long time ago, and I haven't really moved off of that valuation. He's just sort of not the same guy he used to be. And on a night-to-night basis, I don't think he's going to get 16 shots. And I don't think he's going to be hot most of the time. But Luka, KP, Tim Hardaway Jr. has been kind of on the cusp here. He's a guy who's getting more credit than he likely deserves. Hardaway at 109, that's a startable guy, but it's sort of hanging on by a thread. He's in there, though. He's in. And then Memphis blew out San Antonio for the second game in a row. It's hard to interpret this box score because everybody got to play for the Grizzlies again. Derek White, second game back for the Spurs. He's going to slowly round himself into shape. San Antonio's going to be fine here. LaMarcus Aldridge, they just they didn't run him out there very much. Jakob Pertl played 20 minutes. So that situation continues to be a little bit goofball. But let's look at the Memphis side and see if we can pull anything apart. First of all, Brandon Clark is is rocking and rolling these days. He's now up to number 107 on the year, which is, honestly, doesn't really tell the story because he was shooting the ball so poorly early that he was dragging down into the 200 range. Last five games, he's inside the top 20. Great field goal percent, hasn't missed a free throw, getting steals, getting blocks. There's very little not to like about Brandon Clark lately. He's crushing. So hopefully you bought a little bit low there. Uh, you know, John Moran only played 21 minutes. They didn't need him. You know, Memphis went on this big run. The benches went on this giant run, late third, early fourth. And so, you know, much like we saw in whatever the hell that game was earlier, Knicks, I think, Memphis just ran their bench the rest of the ball game. So Tyus Jones played 28 minutes. Scorgie Jang, 24. The mighty John Conchar, 20. And then DeAnthony Melton, 26, and he had another monster of a game. And, you know, I admit, 
this this is heavily because Grayson Allen is out. I just I don't know how you leave DeAnthony Melton on the waiver wire with as well as he's going lately. He's number eighty one overall on the season. That's not that's not recent. That's total. Well, not totals because they missed two weeks of basketball. But by averages, he's number eighty one. Because he gets steals, he gets blocks, he gets threes, he gets boards, he gets assists. He does it all. We've loved DeAnthony Melton for a while. I think Jonas actually had him first, our buddy Jonas Nader, and then Hoopball came roaring in last year trying to snatch him up wherever we could. His minutes have been all over the map. I'm I'm genuinely concerned that he goes back to kind of not being around when Grayson Allen's playing, and he's not going to hit nine three-pointers every two games, so there's been a bit of a stat inflation thing going on. But he just... He does so many things. He needs to be on a roster, and certainly if we find out Allen is still out for their game tonight in Indiana, then you got to start him. He's just playing a ton. Probably won't be this much if it's not a blowout either. They'll likely go back to starters at some point in there. They'll mix and match a little bit. You'd see certainly more Ja, more Dylan Brooks, maybe more slow-mo who's come back on a little bit here. The whole team just, you know, like we saw with Jimmy Butler in Miami, with John Morant back, everybody kind of slides back into their comfortable roles, and so Memphis is looking good again. The wheels are going to come off at some point, but they're rolling for the moment. And that's something that we've talked about a little bit uh, on a gambling standpoint is um, you kind of want to back the teams that are having fun this year. It's a weird year where a lot of teams aren't having fun. And so if you can find the ones that seem like they're genuinely enjoying themselves, there's actually some line value built in on that emotional state. You can handicap emotional state. Which reminds me, as we turn the page towards a six-game Tuesday preview part of the show, to please go sign up with our buddies over at mybookie.ag. We're trucking along, man. Our very own Vince Miracle here, part of the Hoopball Wager Pass family. Went heavy on the Kings. Uh, and who the hell else was it yesterday? It was heavy on the Kings money line and the Suns money line. So that Devin Booker three-pointer was a pretty big deal for him. And won nine units yesterday in the wager pass. Meanwhile, old steady Eddie, Troy Markowski with another 2-0 night. Troy now 41-33 and on the year for plus 12.5 units in the NBA. Brilliant performance. And then Devin won himself a unit in the uh, on the college front. The wager pass has been incredible, and if you use it in conjunction with our buddies over at mybookie.ag, it is a match made in heaven. So here's your promo on the podcast. First, sign up for the Hoop Ball Wager Pass. It's $9.99 a month, which is $0.33 cents a day. And I can tell you yesterday, uh, I had six plays. Troy had two. Vince had three games, but he split his plays, so that we'll call it three. Brew had like five or six plays. Eric had one. You're getting 10 to 20 plays per day for 33 cents. I cannot convey to you how absurd it is that Hoopball is charging 33 cents a day. For those of you that have followed you know, handicappers and how that, that industry works, the, the sports betting industry. Most handicappers sell one play, one capper sells one play for anywhere from 5 to $50. Most of them probably in the 15 to 30 range. One play. One. At Hoopball, it's $9.99 for a month of seven analysts stuffed. That's insane. The beauty of that, by the way, is that it doesn't impact your bankroll in a way that spending $15 to $30 on one play does. You can't afford that. You can't win if you're putting $15 down just to get the side you're supposed to be playing. If you're putting $0.33 down on a day where you get 15 plays, so two-ish cents per play, it's negligible. So then take a day like yesterday where the hoop ball team combined to win something like seven or eight units all told. And I don't know, what's your unit? 10, 20, 30, $50? You paid for half a year, a year, three years of the wager pass. So please do check that out. It, it would mean the world to us. We'd love to have you aboard. We're working very, very hard on this stuff right now. 
hoop-ball.com. Click on the premium tab, choose wager pass, and buy it. And then go over to mybookie.ag, make a new account with promo code hoopball, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. Make your first deposit and tweet at me, at Dan Bespris. Again, promo code is hoopball. Mybookie.ag is the website. Promo code hoopball when you sign up, all one word. Make that first deposit and then tweet at me, at Dan Bespris. I have a prize waiting for you. It might be green. It might be paper. Actually, I'm not going to mail you paper. It might be green, theoretically. It might be like a green metaphor in your mind. It might be digital in real life. But either way, I think you know what I'm getting at. So please do check that out. Let's zip our way through the Tuesday preview card. And it's short enough where I think we can do each game betting and fantasy at the same time. Toronto is in Orlando. Aaron Gordon will be out four to six weeks with his twisted ankle. I think we talked about that on yesterday's show, didn't we? Or did I just put it on Twitter? Either way, Gordon's out for a while. Here's the problem there. Aaron Gordon was barely worth hanging on to before he got hurt. He was number 190 thanks to brutal percentages so far this year. His popcorn numbers have actually been okay. 14, 7, and 4. He's hitting, you know, one and a half three-pointers. He's at one and a half combined steals and blocks. That stuff is all actually decent overall. He's a tough guy to sit on right now. I actually wouldn't kill you if you dropped Aaron Gordon in fantasy. I know someone's going to pick him up and squat on him, but he's hurting more than he's helping. And yeah, maybe he goes on a run. Maybe. Maybe he doesn't. I mean, he, he you know, we were hoping when we grabbed him in the 95 to 110 range that maybe he could continue what he had started after the All-Star break last year, but it just doesn't seem to be happening. So anyway, he's out for a while. This game screams of Orlando's last gasp. I think they have the camaraderie to try to kind of pick each other up here with no Gordon, play hard for a game or two, and then probably fold on the year. Meanwhile, Toronto who was laying only five points at home to Orlando two days ago. They're laying six on the road in Orlando, so you know there's some line value on the home team there if, uh, if you're into that sort of thing. Toronto side, we don't know exactly who's playing in that ball game yet. I believe Ananobi remains questionable. And uh, otherwise, that would leave things pretty similar to what you saw on Sunday. I have not seen an update on Norman Powell yet, but if he's in, you can start him because he would take Ananobi's starting spot. On the Orlando side, I'm watching Kem Birch. She's actually already been picked up in a couple of spots. That's how crazy competitive some of my 12-teamers are. But he'll likely be available in most of your leagues floating around out there. If he logs, you know, 26 to 30 minutes here, he probably becomes, you know, I don't know that he can get inside the top 100 even in 26 minutes because there are some gaps in his game. But rebounding, you'll get you some rebounds. He'll probably block a shot, maybe 1.2 something like that, uh, but no three-pointers, and you know he's not going to be a focal point. So I would take a look at that front. I'm not that worried about who slots into the starting lineup. You're going to get more Terrence Ross shots, more Fournier, more Vooch. It's just the same old stuff, and then probably a little bit more Cole Anthony, who has been lately on the outside looking in, but I do still think he needs to be on rosters, and now more than ever, because they were running point Aaron Gordon, now you're going to see more assists for all the other guys which, by the way, was a really big help, not just for Anthony, but actually for Evan Fournier, as his assists have trended up here lately, and he's pushed himself uh, comfortably inside the top 100, right around the 90 mark. Clippers in Brooklyn taking on the Nets. This should be a fun one. Clippers favored by one and a half on the road. We've seen Brooklyn, they'll hang in there with good teams, and they will let bad teams hang in there with them. I actually have a slight lean to Brooklyn in this ballgame, although... In all likelihood, it's going to be a close one. I don't know how either team really shuts the other one down unless you just kind of catch them on an off night. And, you know, that hasn't happened for the Nets or their opponents here pretty much since the, the Harden trade. The fantasy implications here, uh, not much on the Clippers' side. We've seen Ivica Zubots trending up a little bit lately for the Clips. You can keep an eye on that with Brooklyn. It seems like Jeff Green is winning the center battle with DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre's still somehow doing enough with field goal percent, rebounding, and blocks to hang in there above the cut line. 
But really, how long can that last? It seems unsustainable given the playing time issues. And the Clippers are not a giant team, so he'll probably get run off the court here in this one too. The uh, Trying to figure out what time these different games are starting. Portland at Washington. A game I think was delayed by a half hour. Doesn't matter. Wizards favored by two. Or is it up to two and a half now? It's up to two and a half now. Because the Blazers are on a back-to-back, and also they're just not very good. Portland is running out of gas. I like that the Wizards won their last ball game. As I just said before, I think if you're backing teams that are feeling a little bit better, you're in pretty good shape because the fans can't do it for them. And you need a team that actually kind of wants to go to the arena. I don't know that Portland really wants to go to the arena right now. I think they're looking, they're in a why me mode. And for good reason. That's another year of the same old stuff. Why us? Why me? Uh, lean to the Wizards. Total of 240 and a half, which, by the way, somehow isn't even the highest total on the board. Clippers-Nets is 241 and a half. With Washington, can anyone besides Beal and Westbrook sustain value? I believe Davis Bertans will, and I believe we have to at least keep an eye on Mo Wagner in a slightly deeper format. I don't know that he's going to be able to hang in there in 12-teamers, but you got to at least give him a look, especially here in these games where defense will be uh, not happening. And with Portland, I still trust Gary Trent over Nas Little. I think Rocco should be in okay shape here, and uh, that's about it on the Portland side. Memphis on the back-to-back at Indiana, although they are pretty well-rested. Grizzlies, yeah, the travel day from San Antonio to uh, Indianapolis is not an easy one. But, you know, they, their starters only played half the game yesterday. So energy should be okay. Remember, this is also a team that didn't play for two weeks, so they've got that going for them. Indy's been a little weird lately. Is it the Brogdon? Is there a Brogdon slowdown? Is it a Sabonis? Is he battling something? Um, I got to lean to the Grizzlies because they're another team that seems like they're having more fun. They're enjoying basketball right now. Fantasy-wise, I'd love to see Memphis in a closer ball game, if only to just get an idea of how they actually want to deploy their guys these days. Indiana, I think we have a pretty good idea. Detroit is in Utah. Jazz favored by 12. This was going to be a back-to-back in altitude for Detroit, but yesterday's game in Denver got postponed because of a false positive. Thank goodness, right? They did the right thing by postponing the game. You can't, you can't risk it. But luckily, turned out to be a false positive. Sounds like this game is scheduled to go. We haven't heard anything to the contrary. Jazz coming off a loss, which we haven't said for them in about three and a half weeks. Snapped an 11-game winning streak. Can Utah get back on the right side of the ledger, or are they finally now overvalued and are due for a little bit of a letdown? I would believe in the latter. I think there's a little letdown coming here for Utah. Detroit got smoked in Golden State. We'll see if they can bounce back in this one. Fantasy-wise... I expect the guys on Detroit that were playing well to go back to playing well. With Utah, it's kind of nothing. Boyan Bogdanovich has been better lately. We'll see if he can keep it going. And then Boston, without Marcus Smart for a few weeks, who picks up the pieces? Do they go huge and run Daniel Tice for big minutes and give Robert Williams enough time to have fantasy value, or do they go small? And with Warriors, James Wiseman is out for, I think, a week was the last thing we saw. So they'll we'll see a little bit more Kevon Looney, a little bit more Draymond Green at center, although that's kind of what they're running most of the time anyway. And for the Warriors, Andrew Wiggins, who's been putting on a defensive clinic actually so far this year, sneaky behind-the-scenes defensive clinic. We'll see if he's on Tatum or Brown. Boston, luckily, has multiple options there. I'm a little curious. I have a slight lean to Boston, although I, I, I don't like the fact that they're laying two to three points on the road in this game. That's uh, That's significant. But I do think that Boston losing Marcus Smart, they feel like they dodged a little bit of a bullet that he's only going to be out a few weeks instead of a couple months. And there may be a little bit of an injured star theory going on with the Celtics that might be overlooked. Here's the problem with that one. The injured star theory generally is accompanied by a line move. And there isn't really much of a line move for Marcus Smart being out. Maybe a half point, maybe one And he might be worth more to Boston than that. So that scares me a little bit. I do think the Celtics play a good ball game. I think they're better than the Warriors. Just sort of roll it all together. 
question is, can they cover more than a possession on the road? Warriors have been playing relatively well lately, too. So, I, you know, we'll, this one is this one's floating around out there. Eileen Celtics, I think they have the, the Marcus Smart absent pick-me-up game before maybe it kind of comes back to bite them a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, I like Boston there. And uh, Warriors side, not much, fantasy-wise. Really, very little. Very little. Thank you to everybody that has rated and reviewed the podcast here over the last few days. I know on the Friday show, I made a concerted effort to talk you guys into it, and it seems like it worked. So big, big, big thank you. You guys are amazing. You guys are amazing. We uh, we got like 20 new ratings over the weekend. That is a crazy big jump. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but it really is. Uh, we're, I want to get to 600. We were at 591 the last time I checked. I don't know if that's still the case this morning. Uh, but let's get those last nine ratings or reviews in. So please do take a moment. It, whatever device you're using, whatever service, please subscribe. Please rate. Drop a five-star review on the pod, especially if it's through iTunes or an Apple-branded mobile device. Search for Fantasy NBA Today. Click on the show title, not the name of an episode. And if you're on iTunes on your computer, there's a tab for rating and review. If you're on your phone or other uh, mobile device, just scroll down. Once you click on the show title, you just scroll down to the bottom, and that's when you can do it. If you want to write something, great. You don't have to. Uh, love those reviews and love you for doing them. One thing I forgot to mention in the middle of the show, too, this is Team Pod Recruitment Week here on Fantasy NBA Today. A bunch of you reached out yesterday. That was really cool, a little surprising, but very cool, and I'll maintain it here again. This is, this is a big deal. Because we have 10 team shows right now. We'd love to get one covering all 30 teams. And if this is something you think you want to do, hit me up about it. At Dan Vespers on Twitter or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. This is, like, this is an undertaking. This is, this is not for someone who wants to dabble. This is for someone who wants to cover an NBA team. That's the end point of this. And generally, podcast form, since that's what I know more about... You want to cover a team, meaning you're covering their games, you're watching their games, you're watching the news about them, you're reading the stuff that comes out about them on their, their team pages and blogs and stuff like that, and you're potting about it three, four, five times a week. Basically, if there's a game, there should be a pod. So this is a lift. This is not for screwing around, but if you want to cover a basketball team for hoop ball, not for fantasy, this is for the website, but this is for the actual NBA coverage of it, hit me up. Happy to work with you guys, too. You know, you don't have to be a seasoned podcaster. You just have to be someone with a ton of passion, the time to make this thing special, and the desire to want it to be the best. So hit me up again, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, the email one more time, teamhoopball at hoopdashball.com. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. Back at you tomorrow. Shorter recap, bigger preview. That's how Wednesdays go, isn't it? Later. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.